Amen. So my, my topic today, as I prayed, I had a different message, but I shifted gears through prayer and talking with Bishop Josh. Man, and I wanted to land here in Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 15. And this is a tweener verse. What it means is it's stuck in a paragraph. So I've extrapolated it without bootlegging and compromising the text. I want to, so we're going to preach it clean by God's grace. You'll tell me later if I don't. Send all emails to Nancy Corey. Amen. And she'll, she'll screen them. And, um, and so the title of my message is Resting and Rejoicing in the Savior. Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 15, just simply verse 15 and 16. And I'll read 17 for context. Amen. Resting and Rejoicing in the Savior. And I'm reading from the CSB, which I like to call the Camden Street Bible. Verse 15, and let the peace of Christ to which you were also called into one body rule the hearts and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, resting and rejoicing in the Savior. And resting and rejoicing, I have it in that order. Resting in Christ flows out of the peace of Christ that comes when one will trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. When they walk in him, they're filled with the Spirit and the one's heart, and people's hearts are changed, and they seek to live for Christ in all points and places in their life. And in living for Christ... Um, we're not just saved to this radically individual life, not at all. We are called into community. Your salvation, your conversion is connected to community. When you're unsaved, you can be radical and crazy as you want. In salvation, you're going to be a little radical and crazy, but you do it with us in community. We're a beautiful, messy family. So we have peace with Christ through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We believe on him as Savior and King. We trust in the atoning death on Calvary's cross that he satisfied the Father's demands for the penalty of sin in which we deserved. We sinned. We committed heinous lies and crimes and, and evil and sins going our own way against God. Paul says in Ephesians, without hope and without God, alienated from the promises. That was us. It was us. We were guilty, violent, and we were separated from God spiritually, and our relationships severed from God relationally. But because Jesus atoning death, and now through repentance and faith, we've turned from our commitments to sin to our commitments to Christ as Savior and Lord. And Christ fully forgives us and makes us his children. This peace or rest now is the determiner or the definer of my praise to him or to my rejoicing in him. So Christ through his death on the cross has reconciled me to God now as a divine son, no longer severed and separated from God, but as a son reconciled, redeemed from sin's curse. So the peace of Christ is now the point of reference for my rejoicing. The peace of Christ is now the point of reference for my rejoicing. Let me make this plainer. 
So if in Christ I was, if, if in, in my life I was separated from God, be, from God because of sin, separated from my sin, my evils, my lies, my heinous, my addiction, separated, Christ swoops in and saves me by his grace. I turn to him. He gives me the gift of faith to turn to him. He brings me and draws me and makes me new by his work. I didn't chip in on my salvation. It was a work to God, zero to a million. And now I was working to try to save myself in all my stuff, all my lies, all my, even as a bootleg Christian, a church boy, I was trying to do good works and all of that. None of that was saving me. But, and so I was working. So now because Christ has done all the work, the cross is, the, is Christ's cross, cruciform work. The empty tomb is evidence. Now I can rest in Jesus. That becomes a determiner of my peace, of my resting. And this peace or rest now is the determiner and definer of praise to him. And so now that I have rest in him, I no longer, the thermometer is no longer set to the circumstances of life, no longer set to, in my, I'm from the hood, to how many gunshots, how many gang wars are happening. The determiner, now my rejoicing comes since I rest in Christ, his finished work, not my circumstances, I rejoice in Christ in his finished work and circumstances. So watch this. I don't care what's going on out here. That doesn't determine my rest. And so if the determiner of my rest is Christ Jesus finished work, then the rejoicing, when I get my praise on, I don't need stuff to be right. Because he's made it right, made me right. And so therefore, I set my praise to Christ. Period. So the peace or the rest Christ now, Christ gives us now is the point of reference for all of our rejoicing. Not in my circumstances, not in my crisis, good or bad. I mean, not in my circumstances, good or bad. Not in my crisis on my face. Not in my issues or my shortcomings. Not in my insecurities or my identity struggles. Not in my problems or not even in my past. Not in my promiscuity. Not in my addictions. But my rejoicing is set in Christ. But because I can rest in Christ, I can have peace in no matter the problem, the predicament, or the pressures. Nothing can undo what Christ has done to save me. Nothing. So if you're here, I know sometimes even after you accept Christ and go to a great church like Frontline, we still try to work our way into God's good graces. We still scared when we don't tithe that we're going to be cursed with a curse. We still think the sin we did caused the sickness of maybe one of our loved ones. We still think like that. And then we try to work our way back into his good graces. If you're here today, I want you, I declare with all authority of the word of God, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. You are free from the bondage. The enemy has no authority over you. You are one in Christ Jesus. He has made you new. You are his child. Tomlin said it plain. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. And I'm loved by him. It doesn't give me a qualifying that I'm good. It doesn't say that. I love how he goes from God. Um, he describes his goodness, and then he just describes our position. He goes, God is good. He's a good, good father. That's who he is. And he doesn't say we're good. He just says we're loved by him. <laughs> That's who we are. 
So if you're here, you are loved by Christ. If you're in Christ Jesus, nothing can undo that. Not your circumstances, not the lies of the enemy, not the hate, not your past if you came up with a bad dad or no dad, not no um, molestation that might have happened to you, not a bad divorce, not anxiety, not depression. Your rejoicing in rest is determined by Christ. No devil can undo that. No, nothing can tear that down. And we don't wait to praise him after the victory. We praise him in the storm. We're the craziest folk on earth. Because we some fourth quarter down by 100 and still know we're going to win, Christian. <laughs> I want to walk us in a little bit to get to the historic reality. Tell you about my father, Doug Sr., who went to be with the Lord in 2012. Couldn't read and write, old head. I got five sisters. I'm the youngest and the only boy, so my oldest sister's like 70. I'm 47. And my dad used me as the experiment. So when I would get sick growing up in the 70s, my father would take me to Dr. Nockerson. That was the name of our doctor in Patterson, New Jersey. And Dr. Nockerson would take my temperature and then like many doctors in the 70s tell you, pull your pants down, then he'd shoot you with a penicillin shot in your butt. Bang! He wasn't gentle or nothing, didn't use no alcohol. He just banged you, bang! Then he'd tell my father like, $100. Give him a little bottle of nasty pink penicillin to take. I'd rather be sick. And um, I would take that nasty penicillin and go home, but. I thought that was it, right? No. My father is country from South Carolina. And so he would get home after the shot in the butt, after the guy that went to school for eight years said, this is what he needs. And then he would say, okay, now this is what we got to do. I need you to put on three layers of clothes so we can sweat this out. <laughs> then he would get an onion and cut it into pieces put it in a stocking and hang it around my neck so when the fever was coming out it would go into the onions and when the onions wilted that mean I was getting healed <laughs> and then he would tell me to lay down and then he would put 1100 blankets over me <laughs> but before he did that he would get the Vicks like this here and rub me down with all the Vicks everywhere, and then I'd be under the covers. Then he would play a little AM station gospel music to comfort me. <laughs> and then he'd give me Dr. Nockerson's penicillin to lay down. Hold up, one more thing he would do. He would give me a hot toddy. It was all toddy, no hot, it was just liquor. <laughs> so I'd be a nine-year-old drunk, Vic-smelling, Vic sweaty, skinny, sauna, little boy with a needle in my butt and nasty penicillin on me. Now, I'm saying this is what's happening in Colossae. What am I saying? Jesus is enough, not that other stuff. How do we get unity and peace? We rest in Jesus, we rejoice in Jesus, and that's enough. You can't be like Doug Sr. trying to voodoo everything up. 
Dr. Nockerson went to school for eight years, Pop. You can't read and write well. I ain't mad at you. <laughs> but let him do his job. I say the same thing to you. Frontline, let Jesus do his work. Don't mix all your stuff in. So what was happening in Colossae, Epaphras, um, he was going down to a Bible study in Ephesus, Tyrannius Hall, where Paul was teaching for about three years. And we believe from there he got the bug to plant a church, and he learned some stuff and went back to Colossae and planted. But what was he up against? Some false teaching. What was the false teaching? It was this ad hoc goofy, gumbo, pagan mix of religions. And so all those mix of religions, some, up to, some theologians would say up to 17 different religions mixed in, when you would come to Christ, you would just add him to the 17 and make him 18. And so they would use all of that, all of the multiple religions and Jesus. And Paul and uh, Epaphras is dealing with that. He's saying there is nothing else happening that you need in Christ other than Jesus. Don't use no ad hoc mix. Stay Jesus, no chaser. Jesus, no ice. Jesus. And then as we get down here, obviously there's some, through the, through the text of I walked you all the way through, we would get to chapter 3, and there was a level of disunity and division amongst all the bootleg theologies. You know, everybody's a theologian. I, I just assume they had Facebook here because everybody thought they knew what they was talking about. And so, so Epaphras is dealing with that. Epaphras is dealing with that. So when we get here, there must have been some beef, some, I'm sorry, there must have been some disagreements. <laughs> and therefore, he's teaching them how to rest and rejoice as a church there. Jesus only, he is enough, and not just individual peace, but this corporate reality of peace. How does the unity and the peace of Christ reign in the community? Well, if I were to go to 312, this is what it says. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy, daily love, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a grievance against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love and and the perfect bond of unity. So Paul illustrates that we have to be dressed for spiritual success, that we must be dressed up in Christ's character and perfection as our point of reference. So he talks about putting on, putting on all of these things to protect the peace and unity of the church, but through the exalting and the resting in Christ. It requires forbearance and forgiveness and humility and meekness. If I walk up to verse 14, verse 14 says, and, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So he's screaming when, we're going, when these disagreements try to come in, when these false teachers are doing this, don't fall for the okey-doke. Walk with one another, love one another, and to keep and maintain the unity in Christ Put on love, forgive like Christ forgave. So in the context of unity, in the gathering of the body of Christ, he gives us dynamics for devotion and anti-division success. What does he say? So the, the ingredients for devotion to Christ and anti-division in Christ's body 
is he goes in verse 15 and look what he says. And let the priest of Christ to which you were also called in one body rule your hearts. So pretty. This peace, this arena is the Greek word for it, arena or Old Testament is shalom. Is, this means comprehensive wholeness in Christ. It's, it's this idea of, of health and, and soundness. And it's the arena is sort of like the secret service for the believer. Like he can walk through, through all types of violent places, but he's surrounded by sharp shooting gun-toting ninjas that will take down any enemy that comes and will pop them when they walk. That's why when you walk with that secret service, I don't care if they shooting you just like Charles de Gaulle, just strutting, just chilling. It's no big deal because we have the arena of Christ. I don't need for the, my secret service to stop everybody. I just need them to protect me because I can go through the storm with the secret service. So Jesus is with us. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Though you walk through the valley of death, you shall fear no evil because I am with you. We need to recognize that Christ is with us. He has not forsaken us. He has not abandoned us. I'm using us because I don't want you to dwell into your personal place. I want you to see Paul is talking about the unity of the body. And so he's screaming that this peace, let the peace of Christ rule the whole community. And this word rule, this is, has the idea of this overarching authority in the believer and in the Christian community. So this peace of Christ, it's not just the inward individual peace of mind, what accompanies humble, confident trust in God and love, but this peace characterizes the community. Oh, and so, although this peace is generally an individual matter, in the case of this church that Paul was addressing, he was advocating for the demonstration of this peace amongst us all, that we might demonstrate that to a city falling apart, particularly in Colossae, and to a city that, and, and to a community that had an ad hoc mixture of multiple religions. How do we work out our differences? It's only through Jesus. So we're talking them off the ledge of the other 17 gods, and we're talking them into the broken, funny, crazy, whole community of the church. And that peace of God came through the reconciling reality of the cross. I think I have a slide for that. The peace came through the reconciling reality of the cross. Colossians 1, 18 through 22 says this, he is also the head of the body. I'm talking about Jesus, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through... I'm sorry. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded in the step and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, the gospel has been reclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant to it. So peace is given by Jesus and not earned by the believer. It's given as a gift. 
God accomplished it for you. You didn't chip in on it. It's all a work of Christ. And we could never, and if we think we are, we're arrogant to think we could ever fix the chasm between man's sin and God. That is unfixable by us. We are dependent and desperate for that relationship to happen. Thank God for a God who stooped down and died. Consider our lowest state didn't consider his eternal swag something that he wouldn't give to um, lowly, unswagged out sinners who in their life have used hate towards him. But because of his great mercy, he was willing to stoop down and die to close the chasm, not just for you to say, Jesus is my personal savior, but for you to say, I've been saved by the grace of God and I'm saved to this reconciled community. We are a mess, but we're God's mess. We ain't got it all figured out, but God is working on us. We don't believe in sameness. We believe in oneness in Christ. We walk, we trip, we fumble, we love one another, good, bad, and ugly. We're going to fight sometimes against each other, and other times we're going to fight the devil from coming in. But we are God's people united together as one body. We won't be broken. We won't let nothing separate us. We won't let politics divide us. We won't let news stations make us pick our sides. We won't let no telecaster on the news be our pastor. We got some good pastors here. We're going to submit to them. We're not going to let no ideology prevail over the power of the unifying, reconciling gospel. We're going to stand together, messy, sometimes mad, sometimes struggling, sometimes angry, sometimes disagreement. You are my brother. You are my sister if we're in Christ, and there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing. You can't undo that. We're one crazy psycho family. That's just what we are. The body of Christ is ha has former Nazis. Let that hit you. The body of Christ got bloods and crimps. It's torn down all the walls of hostility. It's got Klansmen and mothers of dead boys that were killed by the Klan. It's filled with parents of, of people that were shot and police that did the shooting and are sorry. We're a beautiful mess. Only Jesus can accomplish that. In him, on that empty cross. But because I said all that doesn't mean I don't try to still accomplish peace without him. We vacation for it. I'm having re-entry issues right now being at this church and being in Oklahoma. The hotel is fly. I charge a bunch of stuff to the room. <laughs> Amen, somebody. Like, I ain't ready to go home yet. I might not be ready for a spell, like they used to say down south. That could be six months if you watch Color Purple. <laughs> we drink too much to try to accomplish peace, right? We smoke weed to accomplish it. We do coke and sometimes heroin to try to accomplish a peace that we can't seem to accomplish on our own. We move out of neighborhoods to other neighborhoods to obtain it. We block people on social media to obtain it. We hit do not disturb on our phones regular to obtain it. 
We chase it, we work for it, we fight for it, we save all our money for it, we will pay for it, we'll do anything it can. And most dudes, the new way of peace is we don't need to pray, we just need a man cave. 70-inch TV is better than Jesus for many of us. (laughs) We'll do anything to try to get it. Ad hoc, right? Bootleg version of peace. They are not peace. They're false gods. They're idols. It's wrong to think that we will ever attain peace through the right type of life, right? So we think if we move to the right neighborhood, do the right things, and a good person, man, I'm at peace. Where do you go when you die? How come you can't explain yawning? What about the common cold? What about India flooding? You can have peace with this world falling apart around us. You cannot obtain peace by living the right life. Authentic, eternal peace only comes from the authentic, eternal God, Jesus. And he hasn't given it to you to put it in your can and can all you get, get all you can and hide it. He's given it to a community. And that unity is a message. Diversity and unity is not the peace. The peace is Christ, and it's brought us unity. Unity didn't bring us Jesus. Jesus brought us unity. And the reason, and can I tell you, Jesus didn't bring peace in his pocket to us. He didn't say, hey, I'm here. Here's peace. He showed up and said, I'm peace. Ephesians 2.14 talks about him being our peace. Isaiah 9 talks about him being the prince of peace and the government would be on his shoulders. He is our shalom, our comprehensive peace, our ultimate peace, the person and work of Jesus on the cross. And so let me get ready to close to the next, get to the next piece. So when it says, let the peace of Christ rule your heart, let's play with the Greek term. The New Testament was originally written in Greek. And so I want to play with that term. So the Greek term here is rule, let the peace of Christ rule. The word rule means to arbitrate, to control, or to Doug Logan translation, to call the shots. And the Greek term for heart, cardia, not Cardi B, she's corny, in some, in more than just your emotions, it's the core essence of your being. It can also refer to your mind. So when we put it all together, when... This word is saying to us here that we have to allow for the peacefulness that comes as a result of our position in Christ to call the shots regarding what state of mind we're in. Peace in Christ for the believer must be the rule over us comprehensively. What are you saying? If in fact the peace of Christ rules, well then it determines when when you to rejoice. I'm not talking about happy. Happy is temporal. And it's temporal and fleeting. I'm talking about joy. The devil can't take away my joy. He can take my smile for a minute, but my joy is internal and external. See, happiness is external 
and temporal, but joy in Christ is eternal and internal that can't be robbed by rust or situations that's locked in with Christ. Paul says in Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. These false teachers have made a mess. And Epaphras, Paul is telling Epaphras, don't try to have a meeting with everybody and try to be sympathetic to all of their different situations necessarily. He's saying let the peace of Christ shape our commitment, rule, and regulate. That word there for rule also is we get the word umpire. Let the peace of Christ be the umpire in these disputes, in this weird false theology. Let Christ control that. And can I tell you, peace doesn't equal the absence of outward hostility or aggravation. No, sir. I could not be fighting with you and still hate you. I mean, y'all in the South, y'all have got the little phrase that does that. Let me tell you what it is. Bless your heart. (laughs) That's what y'all say, right? When somebody gets on your nerve, they say something dumb or are they doing something ridiculous? Y'all so southern hospi- hospitable. So y'all don't say, you goofball, shut up, like we do in New York and New Jersey. Y'all say, bless your heart, baby. <laughs> that don't mean you like them, love them, or care about them. So the peace we're talking about here is a reconciled peace. We've been fighting, angry with each other, hating each other with our hearts. And then we repent to the living God and to one another. And now we're unified as a family. We're unified together, not some bootleg, I love him, but I just don't like him. I'm glad Jesus doesn't say that to us because that would never change his, because that would be our determining reality. Because he would never like us as much as we sin against him, as much as we lie against him, as much as we're not perfect. He would only be able to love us and not like us. But that's ridiculous. That's not even a real phrase. If you don't love me, if you don't like me, I don't think you, don't, I don't think you love me. But Jesus just loves us. He never says, I love you, but I don't like you. He just says, I love you. I've loved you with uh, eternal love. I love you love me because I first loved you for God so loved the world that he was generous and bankrupt heaven to pay earth's debt. So let the love of God prevail. It's the peace of Christ that keeps diversity. That keeps diversity from turning into division. It's the peace of Christ. So Family of God, we got to let the peace of Christ rule. And can I tell you, when we whine and complain, God is not fond of complainers. You know what happened to Israel, right? They let their grumbling shape the community. They let their complaints about God shape the community. They forgot that at one point they were here in bondage under the whip of Pharaoh, under the whip of Egypt. Children murdered and slaughtered, genocide 
all type of stuff from human trafficking, importing Jews to be slaves, to comprehensive systemic um, racism and oppression. They were here. God shows up in Moses and brings them out of darkness, out of bondage, out of the hand of Egypt. And then they get to, they get on the journey towards the promised land and they're complaining about the air condition. They mad that it's only Panera bread and not fried chicken. They wanted quail and God gave them manna. Do you remember how bad it was here? So people of God, why does the peace shape us? Because we know what it's like to know that hell is a hot place where God won't be. It's a tormented place. I haven't experienced it because I'm alive, but I've experienced depression. I've experienced anxiety. I've experienced abandonment. I've experienced the loss of a mother, the loss of a father. I've experienced being bullied and hated and mistreated. I've experienced that. I don't want nothing to do with it. And I sure don't want hell. Therefore, I want to recognize with all my soul how far the Lord has brought me, how far he's taken me from the chasm of darkness to the community of light, transferred from darkness to light. So that should bring us about to thankfulness, resting and rejoicing, resting and rejoicing. But I don't want to get over here and be shaped by complaining and preference. We want to be shaped by the person and work of Jesus. That keeps us honest. That keeps us a family. Not sameness. Christ makes us one, not the same. So I'm down with oneness, not sameness. God brought us. Our posture is always resting in his saving work and rejoicing in his saving work. And as we rejoice in his saving work, you know what we do? We rest in his saving work. As we rest in his saving work, it makes us rejoice in his saving work. And as we're rejoicing in his saving work, we can rest in it. You with me? And I'm past my time, and where's Charlie? I don't see him right now over there <laughs> with his hook trying to pull me down. I don't see him. I don't even have my glasses on. I can do it in four minutes, Charlie. I don't want no problem. Don't tell Joe. Oh, Nancy said. <laughs> snitches get stitches. <laughs> 16, I'm going to do this clean and succinct. So he says, let the peace of Christ, which you also called, rule your hearts and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell richly among you with all wisdom and teaching. So let the word of Christ, so the peace of Christ rules, it's the umpire, it determines, you don't determine a foul or a strike, the peace of Christ does, he's the umpire, not us, and now we got to let the peace, it's rules, now we need it to dwell, so how do we walk in this, this graceful umpire? Well, it's the word of Christ that dwells in us, we are a people of the word, not the people of an opinion. We're the people of the word, not the people of a political party. We are the people of the word, not the people of any ism. We are the people of the word, not the people of a denomination. We are the people of the word. We're word-shaped, gospel-centered, Christ-centered. We are those people. And I don't mind all that other stuff, but it falls way low 
than our identities in Christ. I'm not telling you not to be a politician or be in a denomination. I was in the denomination. Um, I voted more than once. I was a political science major at college. I ain't saying that's evil. I'm saying, but in this community, we're shaped by the word. So we engage everything with Christ at the center. So when you argue with me, if I'm Democrat and you're Republican, you better argue with me like I'm a child of Jesus. And the Democrat, when you argue with, with the little animal that runs around station, Fox, um, <laughs> you got to see Jesus in them. Jesus is the filter by which we have our conversations. We don't talk filthy to one another in this community because the word of God dwells and we're people of the word and the word of God is the gospel shaped changed and transformed the word of Christ this message of the gospel has to dwell among you with one another in our hearts that we would devote ourselves to a steady diet the word of Christ word of Christ dwells it tears down opinions and preferences it tears it down and it forces us to think everything through the filter in the beautiful word perfect word of God and we want it to dwell not just dwell but richly that word richly in the original language means um, um, it has, it's beyond the surface, inward effects. It's like being immersed in it, deeply affecting our whole being, not just reason for, not just our little words we say that doesn't change our hearts, but we talk to one another with love and respect as family. The word of Christ shapes our mentality, our thinking, our behavior, our interculturalism, our multiculturalism, our diversity in life. Because the community is shaped by the person and work of Christ on this all-missions gospel, we have an all-mission word dwelling amongst us and making us as the umpire to set the tone on how we relate to one another. This is so important. The world will never get this. It's the word of Christ that dwells, and it's the peace of Christ that rules, that, call, that makes us who we are in this community. And we want people who are arguing and fighting night and day on Facebook and Twitter and on the news to come to us and ask, how do we get along so well? And we would say we don't get along that well. But when we do get along, we give all glory and honor and praise to God because his word has brought peace. His word has ruled us. And yo, we're different and we disagree passionately. We are one family of God. Unshakable, unchangeable. Period. I love that. Not our similar backgrounds, not our common ideas, not our shared experience, but we are shaped together, bound by the love of God, the blood of Jesus, by our shared salvation, by the Holy Ghost. So Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule, let the word of Christ dwell. And then he says, do it. And as I'm closing up, he says, do it. Look what he says. Let the word of Christ dwell richly, deep past the surface, not lotion, but he wants that IV word to dwell deep in your soul, cholesterol, all up in you. And all word and all wisdom, teaching, preaching, that's that word of God, admonishing one another, community, family, through psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So what's our posture in before the before this process and the situation, the anxiety and the depression is fixed? It's rejoicing. Because the word of God, the peace of Christ rules, and the word of God dwells. And so I'll say this in closing. Like, when I think about growing up in the African-American Black Baptist Church, man, 
you know, I disagree theologically with some of that stuff. And but growing up in there, man, I remember the main things I remember, man, is the singing, the worship. It was rich worship. We would sing those metered songs. Like metered songs is when you sing Amazing Grace and it takes you like two days <laughs> to get to get through the first verse. Oh, oh, oh. May, you know, and then it's a long walking song. But it was rich. From the days of slavery till now, music has always been a vital means of communication in the African American church. In fact, in the simple words of the songs, which just minister to the souls in most tragic moments. I can remember my mother walking around the house singing and humming some of those old church songs. But the thing that most grabbed me as a young church boy, non-Christian, was when she would get a phone call about bad news. Somebody else was shot. Deacon so-and-so had died. One of our cousins is locked up again. Somebody got cancer, or maybe she, but she did get a bad diagnosis from a doctor that caused her to die at 12 years old for me in 1983. But it didn't matter because my mom had a secret public weapon. See, in the action movies, the, the, the enemy always, the bad guy, is like always beating up the hero. Like, and then we don't go to the movies if that's not the case. The whole Marvel comics is the, the good guy almost loses until he whips out the secret weapon. Did you notice Wonder Woman and Wakanda is the same? <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Thor whips out the, 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 he's getting beat. And then next thing you know, he comes up with this hammer. And then the movie's over. We win in the credits. And then we wait to the end because something else is going to happen before we leave the movie there. That's what we do. So the bad guy seems to be winning. And then the hero whips out the secret weapon. Well, that's what worship is for my mother, Hattie Logan. It seems like the enemy was going to win at the shootings on the block, the diagnosis of cancer. It seemed like the, sh the, the enemy was going to win in my neighborhood when the gang violence was hot in, in the 70s and things were falling apart. It seems like the enemy was going to win when cousins of mine went to jail and different ones died on the block. It seemed like the enemy was going to win. And it seemed like the, enemy, the devil was hot on our trail and we don't know how to respond. So often we freak out, but not my mom, who, who was a decorated veteran in the game of life always had a secret public weapon. That's to say, because the word of God was so deeply rooted in her, her tears were followed by a tune. And her heart, her broken heart, came with a hymn. So when she get off the phone with the bad news, thinking about this passage, we admonish one another even when it's a mess with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Here's the one I love she sings. She would hang up after somebody was dead or even after she got diagnosed with terminal. She would sing, in times like these, you need a savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure, 
be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Y'all know that song. That rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. The rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure. Be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. And the choir would pop up with their robes and they would say in soprano, alto, and tenor, that rock is Jesus. So no matter what you're going through, anyone here, the circumstances don't determine your, jo your resting nor your rejoicing. That was determined 2,000 years ago on a hill called Golgotha by a man, by a man who was promised in the garden, the Mashiach, Yeshua, the Mashiach. He has come, he's died, he's murdered death so that death can't murder you, and he's put us together as one multifaceted Skittles family that we would display his manifold wisdom to the world. 